Well, hi there, Peculiars. I am drinking out of a black glass. Yeah, my neighbor decided that I needed this, and I think she was probably right. Um, some of you might know, because I posted it online, that I had a, a dream last night that the apocalypse was here, and it came with uh, black floods and flesh-eating locusts and um, a spider hurricane, a spider hurricane. And so the spider hurricane swept in, and I was covered in spiders, and I just laid back and was like, feed me to your babies. You know, I'm just, the earth is healing. And I actually felt like it was a really good dream. I don't know. It was very relaxing. So, you know, I think in all respects, sometimes letting go is the best way of handling your feelings. So tonight, <laughs> that's my segue into we're going to do fiction that has a kind of mysterious subplot that might be uh, a little triggering in some ways and has some kind of sort of scary at times, um, spooky things going on in it. And I did see several of you in the side comments suggesting that you might not be finished and you're a little bit worried about um, spoilers. So I did talk to Davey about this. We are going to try to talk around those things. And I believe that uh, if there are any moments where we're going to get too spoilery, that they're, they're called out a little bit for you. So hopefully we're going to be okay there. Tonight is run a little bit different than we normally do. This is our fiction book, and unfortunately, the author wasn't able to be with us, so we did a little pre-record first that Davey is going to take us through. He's going to, uh, he had a chance to talk to the author earlier, and he's going to run that to talk with, and then we have a really special guest. So some of you may remember Susan Huang. She did some music for us last year. Well, she's done an amazing, amazing, uh, created a song for us that she, we're going to play at the at, during tonight's show. And then she's going to join us to talk about that and about her parents who are who are Korean immigrants as well. And we're going to talk about the book. And I want to hear from all of you also just more generally about the power of fiction and especially uh, medicine and fiction. So it's really, really cool. I'm excited for all of you to be here. We will also talk about the drink and other announcements when we get there. But first, we'll bring our author on with the lovely Davy as interviewer extraordinaire. We are here with Marie Myung-Ok Lee, and we are going to be talking about her book, The Evening Hero. And Marie, I'm so glad you're able to join us, uh, even in this pre-recorded format, uh, to share a little bit about your book. So welcome to the Peculiar Book Club. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me on. I'm so excited. Absolutely. So this book was absolutely fascinating to me, but from my perspective, I really couldn't formalize any of my thoughts until I I wanted to hear from you before I kind of formalize my thoughts because I, I have so many questions about this book and thoughts. Tell us a little bit about kind of where the process started. Where did this idea kind of come to you and this journey that you take us on start? Oh, sure. Uh, the book has taken me 18 years to write. And um, one of my favorite reviews said, it's like three novels stapled together, which was particularly incis incisive. And I, that might be somewhat like, not that you have confusion about it, but it's just a long book that, that has a lot to do with a lot of things. Um, and I guess I could just say that it originally was a kind of Middlemarch-esque romp into late stage capitalism and medicine. Um, with a Korean American doctor, I've always been kind of interested because um, I come from a medical family. I've always been interested in medicine, but you know, when you're in the family, it's different than being a doctor. Yeah. You see it like from a different way. And we've always kind of like revered doctors, but I was also trained as an economist. And as I've been going on, and also my son is disabled and, ha and has all sorts of medical issues. I've just been in the world and it made me 
interested to see what would our very weird healthcare system, because we really are the only country in the world that has this weird for-profit healthcare system, what would it be like if I could take it more to the extreme? Um, and that started out, you know, as kind of funny. And I, you know, I was embedded with a bunch of medical students and I saw a bunch of weird things. And because I was embedded, I was invited to a bunch of weird conferences where I could learn how to monetize my GYN practice and so forth. Oh boy. Yeah. So, so, so is the, I mean, is that where his son is Einstein, correct? That's yes. his son's name. Is that where a lot of that character comes from? Um, yes, it is. Because when I was doing my research, part of it too was um, because, you know, as an, as it, particularly as a Korean American, being a doctor is like socially the highest part you could be in the hierarchy. And I interviewed so many Korean American doctors who about my age, I'm in my 50s, when I asked them, besides the whole, I want to help people, why did you want to be a doctor? <laughs> You know, 90% of them actually said, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I get and, that. Yeah. Right. And it was like they're at a, at a point where they've done all the training and it, but they see, they see the same flaws, a lot of them as I do, but they're on this train they can't get off on. And so, and then part of it too, was that um, the novel was actually a lot more about business and entrepreneurship. But then after the, the election, um, when it, it made me realize sort of like, the anti-Asian violence that's been simmering in our society that I've seen, you know, since I was a kid, but that went, went more to the fore. It, made, it actually made me think a lot more about my father and how he was this very quiet doctor who helped a lot of people, but that his being Asian in some ways was a real block for him, even though he very much, unlike Young Man, the, um, the main character in the story, who has a very cynical eye about stuff, my father had a very rosy picture of what life was like for a minority in America that changed at the very end of his career because some pretty awful things happened. But that also just made me feel like, you know, he, he's just kind of living his life. And then you have someone like Trump just kind of like letting loose all of this sort of pent up racism in society and then everything changes. And it was never, it was never safe. It, and just, that's a yeah. little bit of what young man, um, the doctor in the story feels. Maybe, you know, maybe a little of your dad crept through because I actually thought that he was kind of a little rosy and optimistic. I don't know. He seemed he seemed like things were going good for him at the beginning, but things clearly he tries to make the best of a bad situation with the whole laser uh, surgery situation. He tries. He tries. And I think some of it does have to do with immigrants do have to tell themselves stories, which is probably, and then also people who receive immigrants. That's why the Horatio Alger stories are so popular, even though they're not rooted in reality. Apparently Horatio Alger didn't even like, like his own stories. But you know what I'm saying? Like if you're gonna, you know, I'm getting so much more of an appreciation now that I'm older, realizing what would I do if I had little kids and I just like uprooted myself and went somewhere where it was completely weird. And then also if I was driven there by war and history versus, you know, necessarily wanting to go in young man's case, they actually go because young A needs an abortion. Right. And then, but then they also realize, oh, in pre-row America, that doesn't always work. It's legal, but it's actually not legal. So that was a little different than my parents were actually driven here as, as war refugees. Okay. Well, yeah, that is kind of a big twist in the middle of the book. And most of the peculiars have read the book by the time they get to these things. Okay. So I'm not going to worry too much about spoilers. Um, I guess we'll just give a warning right now to anyone who hasn't read the book. We're going to talk in some detail here. Um, so, yeah, so you do kind of get the sense at the beginning that, oh, this is kind of a traditional immigrant story. He came here to practice medicine. 
But then you find out very quickly that, no, there's so much more to why him and his wife end up here in America. Uh, kind of the decision to add that side of the book in and everything about the Korean War and his their escape from Korea. I guess you call it escape from you oh, know, a rough situation. Yeah. Definitely. And it a lot of it actually had to do literally with... Um, so as I mentioned, it was all like, oh, it was it, it was actually more Einstein's book and Youngman's little stories were more like mortar in mm -hmm. between. But there was actually a very defining moment. So I did grow up in a small town that's like Horace's Breath. It's called Hibbing. Bob Dylan also grew up in our town and also became completely alienated. Um, you can see a lot of that in his, it, you know, in how his artist turned out. Um, but someone in my Facebook group just this is also when Trump was talking about bombing North Korea all the time. He just like very insouciantly with lots of approval posted a um, his bumper sticker that said every day, I don't know, something like 150 species go extinct. North Korean should be next. Um, yeah. And so my father being the North Korean born anesthesiologist in the town, which meant he had his hands on every single person in the town. Like he, you know, he could yeah. never. Yeah. He's like Young Man. I think that is probably why I made, I made Young Man and OBGYN because he he could never rest. He was like so devoted and just to hear so quickly. You know, of course, I did say, you know, my father was born in North Korea. And then they'd be like, oh, no, well, your father's different. <laughs> I'm just like, no, he's not. <laughs> so that kind of gave me this idea that everybody just saw him as this little Asian man. And so that was sort of a driving thing to make me think, well, what is Young Man's epic story? At the time, it really was just him complaining about Einstein. <laughs> yeah. And then I just started like sort of expanding it. And that's when I decided I had to actually try to go to North Korea to see what that was like and, and just like learning more. And, it's, and to some degree too, because my parents were so traumatized by the war, they never talked about it. Even if when I yeah. asked them or, you know, we do oral histories. And so this was in a way, a way for me to write my way back not to them, but to the milieu. Like Youngman is um, of a different generation. He's ten. He's more than ten years younger, but it gave me a much better understanding. You know, having to do all the research about you know what the conditions are like, or that you know, even trying to figure out did they really have to like evacuate um, in, on January in January like with just their straw shoes and no <laughs> winter clothes? When I interviewed people, they just said what else do you do? You just do what you have to do to survive. And you know, yesterday I was on the beach and it was 60 degrees and I was so cold. And I always think about that, you know, when I'm sitting there complaining, like I'm cold, I can't wait to get inside and have a cup of tea. I'm um, just thinking about that's, that's what they had to do. And they didn't have winter clothes and they had to march and people were shooting at them and people who survived, survived and people didn't, didn't. Yeah. I mean, that's really where this book hits hard. Uh, you're, you're pretty honest about some of the atrocities that happened at that time. And, you know, we talk a lot to our authors about their process and usually we're doing, you know, science books and, uh, you know, uh, medical humanities and things like that. And so we get to hear the research side of that. What's the research side for this, for diving into a war that doesn't get taught very well in American schools, I'm going to say? You're absolutely correct. And in fact, it's often known as the Forgotten War. And when I have done research into that, it was actually officially dubbed the Forgotten War in 1952, before the war had even ended. Do you see what I'm saying? And it yeah. was also our first extra legal war um, that the president went in without congressional approval. So in some ways, it was the basis of the wars that we have today. Right. Um, and similarly, so I can say two things about medical humanities. Actually, I was at Yale Medical School um, 
like two weeks ago, talking about like some of the some of the medical research, the Korean War research, because part of it is to is because I wanted to make sure that, you know, obviously I'm a different generation. This is all research based, but I did want to specifically decenter it from you know, our sort of jingoistic ideas of how we how we write war, which we have plenty of. So I decided to only make it, um, every every detail in it is called from oral histories that I've taken from okay. survivors, um, Koreans as well as veterans. Um, but, but one of the interesting things, like I can, one really incisive detail that I can just give you that might like expand for the whole book was, you know, there've always been rumors that the U.S. Um, tested biological weapons during the Korean right. War. Right. Um, and these have always been longstanding rumors. There have actually been like shows about people have been murdered who probably worked on this. Um, so, you know, it was easy for me to hear people talk about, there's a scene in the book where there's powder comes from the sky and um, the refugees are marching with the troops. And so actually whoever gets powder on them, like has a seizure. Yeah. And so, one of the things that was interesting is I talked to this author named Nicholson Baker, who had done a book on FOIA, the Freedom of Information Act. And as his example, he had tried to find out about biological weapons. And when he said, when I showed him like a draft of the book, he's like, how did you know all this? And I just said, well, you know, I just asked people. And then what I also realized is um, when you look at Bong Joon-ho's work, um, he did Parasite, but he did a bunch mm -hmm. of works earlier, and almost all his work is deeply metaphorical about U.S. occupation in Korea. And yeah. he had one really funny one called The Host, where it was based on a true story where the U.S. military dumped all this formaldehyde into the Han River, which is our sacred river, and this, like, monster comes and, like, terrorizes everyone. Um, but there is, like, this scene where there's, like, this the government's making this announcement going like, everybody stay calm, it's all fine. But then there's like this mist that comes and people are like having seizures, which is almost like the scene in my book. But then I'm realizing, you know, for Koreans, this is not like, is this true or did it not happen? It's part of the cultural memory. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I'm just kind of, so that kind of research where I'm like, oh, I'm doing so much research, it's so intricate. And then I'm like going, when I saw that scene and then just, it just made me realize, oh yeah, you know, everybody that I talked to, they just said, well, this pattern came from the sky and this is what happened. So so part of it is research. I guess it's all research, but the oral histories were just opened it up for me in a way that looking at archives, which I did as well, um, couldn't. Yeah. So, I mean, there was one of, in terms of archival research, um, there was a woman who did this book about um, the use of paper. It, it was called the interrogation rooms of the Korean War. And she did this, she's a she's this amazing um historian called Mo her name is Monica Kim. But she did this thing about how PSYOPs also originated in the Korean War. You know, we have the Manchurian candidate where the North Koreans um were the evil people, but actually during the Korean War, if you when they were like redistributing the prisoners, if you wanted to go to the North, you had to go through this very weird like psychiatric evaluation, which was mm. very much like when we do these push-pull polls, basically you have to prove why are you doing this crazy thing? And the, the even crazier thing is when they interrogated the Koreans who wanted to go either be repatriated or some South Koreans wanted to go to the North, how were they going to talk to them? Because they didn't, the U.S. occupation was in English, so they used <laughs> Japanese Americans who'd been interned because mm. 
um, Korea was a Japanese colony. So right. there was these people who had been imprisoned in the U.S. using the colonizer's language in psyops on these Koreans. Like the layers of this. Yeah. It's just something you could never find in a history book except for Monica's. But you see what I'm saying? Like I was trying to bring all of that. Um, like what are, what is the layered reality? And it was never, I want to... I want to show how evil the U.S. is. It was really more like, I just wanted to know what the FUCK happened. I just yeah. wanted to the writer. That's all I wanted to know, what happened. And I wanted to render that like as, you know, and so that's part, part of the reason why some of the book is like funny. I think I wanted to write a funny book about genocide because I think otherwise it would have been unbearable to have to, to work with that kind of material today. I can I can only imagine because you know re listening to the audiobook uh you know in, in in driving in my car I'm I'm getting frustrated I'm getting angry so I can only imagine what it was like to take all that in and try to process it into the story uh you know they really do American education they kick us off in the American Revolution like look we're heroes and then they kind of keep that narrative going throughout oh, the rest of history class and it's it's definitely not true uh especially in the last hundred years and now it's like it's getting harder and harder to be like, oh, it's communism. We have to get rid of, do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, rubber yeah. Wars keep going on and we don't know how to keep it going now. So one question, uh, and again, this is kind of that part where like I couldn't really process this until I talked to you. Um, you know, young man makes it makes it very clear that all he cares about is the Korean people. Like he he kind of is born of what somebody else deemed North Korea. Uh, he, you know, gets moved into South Korea. But really, he's, I think he sees himself as just Korean. What is the climate and culture like today among the Korean people when it comes to this forced divide of the country? There's, there's different ways. For instance, the new president is actually this sort of men's rights guy who's very Trumpish. I feel like a lot of global leaders feel like, oh, this Trump thing works pretty well for us. Yeah, unfortunately. So that. And Jim saying with a younger generation, you know, the war ended in 53. So you also have a younger generation who has no clue about, you know, experience about it. So you yeah. have some very radicalized people who feel like we need to do more with North Korea. And then you have other people who are like, you know, communism is evil. So that narrative is still out there. Yes, definitely. Okay, so you, uh, I believe you've gotten a chance to actually travel to North Korea and do some journalism. There are, again, I'll try to talk around spoilers, but there are scenes in the book that take place in modern day North Korea. Was that pulled from your experiences? Can you share a little bit about your experiences? Sure. And it, it relates to your earlier question because Koreans, oh, because one, one thing I did want to mention is the thing, one of the things that kind of got me is like, I don't speak Korean super well, so I was learning Korean. And I was always like, how come you don't use Pukan, which is the normal North Korea? And people would just call it north of the line. Yeah. You see, that's just like suggesting um, it's north, you live north of the line versus south of the line. It's not like you're this evil North Korean versus. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, and so about my research, part of part of it was um, just like I had to go in the operating rooms just to, to actually like physically see it. I felt like I had to go to North Korea, partly because I had heard about that there had been this place where um, and this does appear in the book where Koreans are just kind of go and like relax and hang out. 
you know, in uniform and they didn't have, they could just, it would be like the ceasefire zone that was unofficial where yeah. they could just hang out <laughs> and, you know, just cuddle, do what they do. So I was like, I really want to see this place, even though I, it would have been um, unlikely when I finally did get to go on a tour of North Korea and they do not, I will add one of the reasons that it, it's so singular is they do not allow diaspora Koreans in general to go to North Korea because if it's the greatest place in the world, why do, why do I live somewhere else? Um, but I did manage, um, because I volunteered to take a group of students from Brown University who, um, they were mostly white students who were studying Chinese history, actually, yeah. and they found a fixer to take us in. So I went in with them and I didn't have to, um, they were clever enough to get us a group visa, so they didn't know I was Korean. Ah. Yes. Okay. And then weirdly kind enough. Yeah, that's, that's okay. So it kind of is in the book, isn't it? It's, bit, it's yeah. absolutely in the book. And one of the weirdest things that happened was um, after telling us, oh, you know, um, Korea is such a great place. No one ever steals because everyone's provided for it. One of the students' wallet got stolen. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it became this slight in international incident um, that did not get resolved. So we, instead of going to the collective farm, they're like, we're going to take you to Kaesong, to this, like, to by the border. And I was like, <laughs> this is so bizarre. This is exactly, this is exactly that part of, North okay. South Korea. It's actually an industrial zone now where they do like joint projects. Okay. So literally, because they were like they just drove us there, they didn't know what else to do with us. I got to I got to spend five minutes there, and that was enough for me to yeah. to stand there. Yeah, fair enough. Fair. Well, we got a few minutes left with you. Um, I want to ask you about moving moving away from some of the war and some of the harder subjects in the book. I want to talk a little bit about the relationships in Young Man's life because. I think there's kind of three difficult relationships that he has to deal with throughout his life. His relationship with Ken, his best friend, is pretty easy. But um, with his brother, with his wife, and with his son, um, and his grandson, too. Um, so those relationships, did, did those come from real places? Kind of what was the inspiration behind those? Because they were pretty unique uh, relationships for a story. And, you know, a husband and wife that don't really spend want to spend time together don't really talk to each other um a son that just doesn't understand his father at all i guess that's pretty universal right um i actually think uh, you know even though the book was written a long time before the dobbs decision i actually see it very much as a forced birth story mm. because young a was the the shining star and she was going to have this amazing career and it's also a little bit of an immigration story because because of the the immigration laws so she can't she can't have her abortion. She has to have the baby. She can't go back because yeah. of immigration problems. So she's kind of angry at Young Man. And then some of it also is a miscommunication where Young Man feels like he just presumes that she hates him. But that's not. It's a little more complicated than that. Yeah, it's, it's, back. it's so much more complicated. I mean, there's scenes of actual intimacy between them that almost catch you off guard more than the the coldness does. Right. Exactly. And let you know, that's what marriage is about. Like, if you don't have communication, <laughs> you have misunderstandings. You know, and I hope it is somewhat of a metaphor. I was hoping between North and South, like sometimes I describe their, they have like this boundary in their bed that they don't like cross and so forth, because it really is about yearning. I mean, almost every, if you talk to anyone who's Korean American, ask them if they're part of a split family. And almost everybody is given mm. what happened between 1945 and 53. Like, Nobody wants to have a split family, and that's just that's just what happened. And in Korean um, culture, there's something called Han, which has to do with resentment and longing. And 
um, a nostalgia for so for something that never existed. And and Han is just something that that is so exemplified by Korea's history. And just this idea that your family is separated, the people closest to you, you can never see them again. I mean, this has just been, a, it, Jim, Jim saying like, even for people like me who I don't have any direct experience, I, I really feel like this is this epigenetic thing that is just going to be passed on um, to the next generations, particularly if as a country, we don't reckon with it unless we yeah. forget the war. I don't think we're going to ever reckon with it. Or even just like the killings in Georgia, like people don't even realize like this guy goes to what he thinks are sex clubs and wants to kill Asian women, probably because they will date him. People don't even realize it was the US that had to bring the prostitutes because the army would be like, well, if you don't want the, the GIs to like ravage you, the maidens of your village, you have to do this. You have to test them for STDs and everything. And they did also like go into the villages and rape anyways. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? But then they all came home going like Asian women are just prostitutes and this bec this becomes disseminated into, into culture, but we don't even realize where it's coming from. And then the U.S. did much the same thing during Vietnam where they also split a country, they had to have the pro these prostitutes, Asian women are like, they're oversexed, but they're also too demure, blah, 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 like these tropes. <laughs> and they come from somewhere and that's where. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, it, it, it was such a strange uh, part of the book where they're like, the Americans and the British are kind of just as bad as the Russians and the Chinese fighting in the North, but kind of the lesser of two evils almost. Oh, and you know, and one of the interesting things that I found in my research that didn't fit in the book, you know what I mean? I'm like, Oh, I'm so glad I can share it with you is I found these like propaganda bills. So again, the, the U S was testing a lot of psyops during the Korean war. Yeah. So they would throw these bills onto the North Korean side, like surrender, da, da, you, you could, and one of the things that they did was they had this horrific picture of a Chinese communist raping a Korean woman. And it was just like, watch out, the Chinese are coming, they're gonna rape you. That one, um, as I saw from the research, they had to scrap because that was not an emotionally triggering thing for, for Asians, for Koreans in particular, because in war, um, rape is not part of war. Yeah. So it was kind of really interesting that, oh, emotionally, this one isn't working. So we'll set this one aside. <laughs> right? right? It's a Western thing, apparently. I mean, it's not that rape doesn't occur. And you know what I'm saying? It's yeah. It doesn't occur, but that was not a triggering thing for um, to motivate Koreans to defect or come to the South or whatever. Gotcha. Well, that's that's troubling. Right. Um, uh, so I know we're running out of time with you. Do we, is there a happy note we want to leave on? Was, is there, is there a part of this book that you, uh, you know, you were really excited to share? It really felt good to get this part, you know, something, whether well, it was something with the doctor stuff, the medical stuff, the, his family life, was there something you enjoyed sharing in the book? I like, I like thinking it's not too late. I like thinking that our, um, the, what what novelists do is we don't try to judge. It's all about being super sensitive and like sometimes it can be very predictive. I don't think my book is predictive. I I hope I did a good job of just like laying things out and things can change. Because what's very interesting is I had actually presented at Yale Medical School like 10 years before and there were very many people who got super upset, the doctors. Nobody questioned mm. the accuracy, but a bunch of the doctors got super upset, including when I was talking about... Um, um, doing vaginal exams under anesthesia. And I was sort of saying that I was really uncomfortable having seen that. And they were just coming kind of like, come on, lady. Like it's called clinical detachment. Shut up, lady. <laughs> but 10 years later, it's a different director, different audience. And the, 
the response was so different. So it, it did make me feel like things can evolve. Mm-hmm. And and now we know that doing that is malpractice and possibly illegal yeah. um, to do that under anesthesia. So I'm just very hopeful that it's a fun it's a fun story. <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? Like I love yeah. this young man character. I miss him. I miss this whole thing. And I'm actually just hoping it will lay some things bare because as you know, our medical system is gonna head off a cliff. People yeah. are already 41% of Americans are already burdened by medical debt. And so do you see what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I think that this would this might be a way for people to enjoy a story. We're storytelling animals, but also think about, you know, maybe the way we do things is not always in the best interest of us as humans. And there's still time to change it. Yeah. Absolutely. All right, cool. All right. And last question. Uh, you know, a lot of emphasis on young man's bucket list. Uh, can you share something? Do you have something already on your bucket list? I know you're not there yet. You're you're not you're not in his stage of life yet. But do you have something on your bucket list that you're saving up? You know, it's funny. I'm like, I'm Buddhist. Whatever is happening right now, talking to you is on my bucket list. Yep. (laughs) Yep. It's a good attitude. I like (laughs) it. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us uh, here for the Peculiar Book Club to talk the evening hero. Thank you so much. And I'm so sorry I couldn't do this live. So forgive me. But thank you so much for doing this. So I'm happy to say that it does mean the Peculiar Book Club has made it people's bucket list have you realized that you guys like we are we are on an author's bucket list um i agree with leanne i think davy you asked great questions davy those were that was a great interview well thank you hi peculiars nice to see you live and yeah i appreciate you understanding the situation and uh i hope you did i hope you enjoyed the interview we we had a really really great talk i think and uh i, I really enjoyed really getting the it was really good um I, uh, I'm, I'm excited because uh, our, our, our musical guest tonight is Susan Huang. And Susan Huang is actually going to join us live as well. Uh, she's here with us. In st- oh, you're losing your mind over my glasses? What's that? <laughs> yeah. So it turns out um, I, I don't wear my glasses all the time because I don't, I, I kind of like not wearing them. But uh, I don't have to wear them. I just have to wear them if I want to see. So um, it turns out I really struggle to see without. Oh, because vision i've got I've, i actually saw that on a poster not too long ago is someone wearing glasses and they're like because vision and i thought yeah that is kind of it um so we're gonna play susan huang's song and then we are going to bring susan on board so that you guys can meet her in person we can talk about uh this amazing song which she wrote for us for the show and also about what it means uh this book and being storytelling animals and about immigration and it's awesome and you're gonna lose your mind over her glasses too she also has super kick-ass glasses so uh so here we go leading right into an amazing song thank you davy for that awesomeness Carry on. There they are, just a man and his wife. Just like people have done since the beginning of life Hair is cold, smiles are nice Nothing to ever make you look twice But that picture is weird in so many ways Layered with weird and sprinkled and strange 
That's how I remember the day. Let me explain. My mother sat where the photographer told her he placed my father's hand there on her shoulder. It looks like some hand that got astray. Whose hand is that anyway? It looks to somebody plucked from the mold or from a mannequin in the department store. It's not that her shoulder was anything to deplore. It's just that affection was kept behind closed doors. Behind closed doors. We didn't even think about much less lament. Confucius rules we weren't about to reinvent. My father generally did things he meant. And I don't think that hand there was one of them. He did as he was told. It was weird for me to behold. Both of my parents complying to a T. Whatever that Sears photographer said ought to be. Like telling her to sit between my father's legs and get closer together. And for his hand to cradle hers gently like he did never. And those smiles, those smiles, like children timid and unsure were smiles I had never seen on their faces before. But they kind of were children doing something new. Holding each other just like white couples do At the Montgomery Mall in the Sears and Roebuck For the all-American family portrait Don't get me wrong, it's not like Kareem's aren't physical it's just public displays of romance weren't typical. I was hugged as a child and kissed and smacked and chased around with the pichero. I remember the whole family getting into the bathtub together. In fact, there were five of us. We're kind of the Italians of Asians, but also maybe the Jews. Loud and emotional, but also expected to grow up to be doctors and lawyers and play the violin or piano with very dominant mother figures who were kind of mean but fiercely loving and everything centered around food. I didn't know how to rhyme that. See how weird this picture is. Do you get what I mean now? Thank you, Peculiars, for inviting me to share this with you somehow. I've yet to share the story with anyone. Mm -mm. I guess this means we're friends now, and you should come over for Pop and Hamilton. Anyone and Hamilton. I'm rhyming English and Korean. I'm sure that's not the first time someone's done that. Himmelchen is this delicious seafood pancake 
And if you don't eat animals, I just make it with pot with green onion. It's delicious, you know, and we really shouldn't be eating sea creatures, right? Because they're so much smarter than us. I mean, we are killing them, the environment. We're the dumb ones, that's dumb. And, but you know, Hamilton rhymes with anyone. So there you go. Hamilton, pop and Hamilton, pop and Hamilton. Pop is rice, but it's also a great word to say uh, uh, phonetically. We should loop this. I am singing it. Wow. Isn't that Unbelievable. Great? I, yeah, I'm just picturing like sitting in a nightclub watching Susan do that live. I have seen Susan do things live. And speaking of Susan live. Hello, Susan. Hey. hey. That was fantastic. That was fantastic. Everybody's loving it. Loving oh, it, Susan Huang. Like uh, Susan Huang, la 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 dot com. Um, if you look for Susan Swang, Susan Wang, la la la. That's the that's the secret to finding her. I had trouble the first time. <laughs> yeah, there are a lot of other Susan Huangs out there. They're you know, I think real estate people and visual artists and doctors. There's a there's a real estate person who's all over the place. Uh, when I go look for you, so yeah, she's la la la. Really <laughs> ambitious, I think. She is very ambitious. Um. <laughs> Yeah, and I have been I have been to your home and uh we didn't I have know. either of those things. But no. we, we should have but we, we had this um amazing aspic uh, right? Is aspic, it, uh, yeah, it was yeah, the aspic in, in the a brain, brain. Yes, we did. And we yes, had the cocktail, book. right? That's the really cocktail cool. thing, and it was so it was good, but it was so hot I couldn't get the cocktail thing to float. Do you remember that? <laughs> it was still delicious, delicious though. It was really good. <laughs> Had that girl says that, uh, totally won't be stuck in my head all night so now everybody knows why i had to recount my dream for you that i had uh, at the beginning of the show. <laughs> i get it now <laughs> that was quite a dream holy cow i have that i have that kind of thing all the time um you have really I'm good not always in general oh yeah like always um i actually remember being dissolved by the spiders like it was a really peculiar feeling of like losing my feet and stuff and i was just like it's okay the earth is healing so you know it was a good dream in some way being eaten by spiders um <gasps> i like spiders it's fine i'm not i don't have you know spider feet. <laughs> i die a lot in my dreams everybody says you don't die in your dreams nonsense i have died repeatedly in my dreams and usually i'm just there dead being like thought more would happen <laughs> so yeah 
It's fun. Wow, that's funny. Yeah. I don't think I've ever died in my dream. But I do have dreams where I am dreaming, you know, and then I wake up, yeah. but I'm still dreaming. Yeah, yeah, I've had a lot that's, of those. That's a lot yeah. weird. Wow, this like whole ring light thing in the glasses. So I don't normally wear glasses on the show, except I've been looking at my computer all day, and so I can't see, literally can't see anymore. Yeah. But I didn't realize ring lights and glasses are a whole thing. So yeah, yeah, interesting. I, um, I, uh, I know that a lot of people, when they when their eyes start to turn or whatever, uh, they they resist wearing glasses. And I guess I resisted too. But in a way, I've secretly just been waiting for this moment because like I I, I always think, oh, it makes you look so smart when you put glasses on, you know, and that's like, ooh, maybe she knows something. You know? Uh, I'm, I'm well, my people. biggest thing is I, I'm farsighted. So like if, as long as you're far away, like if I sit way back yeah, here, I can do this fine. Too. Yeah, yeah, no yeah, problem yeah, at all. Clear. It's cool. Right. It's just that if I want to actually like type, mm -hmm. <laughs> I need to put them on. Um, anyway, so sorry, everybody. We were just catching up. But <laughs> that it was a it was an it's an amazing book and it was an amazing song. And I was so excited when you said when you said so just so everybody knows, she sent me this song. It was actually a little bit longer at first and it was great, but we needed to pare it down just a tiny bit but I was like this is amazing because it's a story but it's musical and you engage with us and everything and we all want to go to your apartment now and speaking of your apartment are you going to introduce us to Trout? Oh yeah absolutely I mean Trout was just was hanging out for the longest time I mean he got excited I think when he saw you Brandy because Trout, uh, Trout and I made big friends when I was there oh, the last yeah. time. They, yeah, you definitely bonded. He was totally excited. Um, oh boy, and um, he just like split. He went into the kitchen. I mean, if you want, I can I can try to find him. I mean, I can bring you to okay. the kitchen if you want. Okay, we could go. We um, could go. It's actually, actually, yeah, it's an interesting kitchen. Yeah. Share share the house here. Oh, there he is. Okay, yeah, this is the kitchen. Sorry, it's it's really pretty freaking messy right now. But um, but uh, it's. This ancient place, uh, it's in the East Village, and you wouldn't know, except everyone who comes here who knows the East Village from a long time ago, they say it's like being in a time machine, and that it's like mm -hmm. an East Village apartment, you know, from, from back in the day. And, um, and here's Trout. Trout, Trout, look, look, it's the peculiar, it's all the peculiars. Trout, Trout, it's peculiar, it's a peculiar book club. Look. This is Trout. It's like a Darwin lookalike. Mm -hmm. Hello, Trout. Yeah. He's um aggressively friendly. If you have a lap, he's, you know, that's really all that's he will required. Find you. Yeah. He will find you. Yeah. And he, he'll sniff it out. Anyone who walks in the door, he's like, I know you have a lap. I know you have one. And I'm going to love you, whether you want it or not. It is. It's pretty damn cute. Yeah. Yeah. He insists on loving you. So, you know, hope you like cats, you know. <laughs> But his well, name—he's named after Kilgore Trout. Kilgore Trout. Love it. Well, I have a question uh, for you, and also yeah. the peculiars are welcome to chime in as well. Please chime. But my my question is, uh, as you were listening to—I know you haven't had a chance to read the book—but um, no. as you were listening to the the discussion, you yeah. know, that sense of both familiarity and alienation. You know, it's American, but not American. How, how did that, did, did that sound familiar? Like, it's, uh, you know, that sense that you're, you're here and there, where home is, that sense of family, but also not quite fitting in. I mean, how did, how did that jive with you? 
in in so many ways. Um, so much of what she was talking about was really fascinating to me and also yeah. familiar. So when she said the thing about um, these doctors not knowing why they became doctors and, and, and what that means for Korean yeah. immigrants and for a lot of different, for a lot of immigrants in general, but yeah. um, I, so I don't know if it's a special Korean immigrant thing, you know, but, but it, that whole doctor and lawyer thing was, that's, it's, it's true. And, and especially, uh, yeah, being a doctor and how that's like, so that's, that's, that's the most you can be in society. That's the top. And so my brother grew up with that pressure to be a doctor. Um, and he was, he's the oldest. And so it's like somebody in the family had to do something, had to do things right. And so he took that on because it wasn't going to be me, you know, um, and it wasn't going to be my sister. And my sister oh. and I, we both became artists and creative people. Um, and it feels weird to say like like became or whatever, but I, that's just you know who who we are, who we who we've always been, in, um, to a large degree. But um, but but somebody had to do some had to do things right, and it was my brother. So he became a doctor, and he married a doctor, and he lives in the Chicago area now. And it's funny when, you know, she was talking about those reasons why, and I was thinking, actually, I don't think my brother has it in him to like want to actually help people. And, and when you think about the work that doctors do and how it's so, you know, you, it's with people all the time and oh, it's yeah. like dealing with the, you know, all of the messiness of people and the, the, um, and not just emotionally, but like with the physical messiness, I'm like, that's really weird. I don't imagine that as being like something that my brother, that's like a naturally a part of my brother. And yet he, yeah, he became, a, he's the one who, do, who did the thing, the, the Korean dream and became yeah. a medical doctor. Um, yeah. Andrew girl wants to know, like, was he happy to shoulder it or was he more like unwilling and shoved? He was more, he seemed more at peace with it. I think he was okay with it. I mean, there were, you know, things that were difficult for him, um, but it was almost, but he, he didn't, he wasn't one to, to, uh, uh, to challenge that. Um, he, he really did accept that. And, and that might just be just part of how my, you know, who my brother is like, like karmically, you know, he was, he was, uh, he, in a lot of ways, he played the role of, um, like peacemaker and he wanted to bring harmony to where, wherever he was at. And especially to, uh, my parents who were really, you know, the, uh, you know, uh, coming to this country, it, it was it was so traumatizing. <laughs> you know, even though it's what they wanted to do, or what my, right. my father wanted to right. do, my mother didn't want to. Um, I moved down the street and found it traumatizing. I yeah yeah. Remember. I'm like you know, I moved you know from Queens to <laughs> to Brooklyn. It was like what? you know yeah yeah. But, um, yeah. Moving is yeah. traumatizing in general. Yeah uh huh yeah, and then to come to a whole nother yeah a whole nother uh, world. Uh huh. Mm. So, <laughs> and, and and when the author was talking about the one character being perceived, or her father actually being perceived as just like this this little Asian man, yeah, that 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 struck that struck a note too, um, and just uh, yeah, and especially especially with me, with men, how they're not they're little, it's a little Asian man, and a quiet and a little Asian man. And yet, 
So on the outside, I know that's how my father was perceived. And that was so frustrating sometimes in situations Mm -hmm. where he needed to get people's attention and he would just be ignored because he was the little Asian man who could be ignored. Um, And I remember as a child being there with him at the, at the, at the store or, or wherever we were, you know, and experiencing that and being angry and like, and then, and then what do I do? I mean, I have to do something Mm -hmm. that's like, you know, then you take on the role of like protector. And, and then, so, so then, so then I have to speak up for my father and get their attention, you know, because they're not paying him attention. Yeah. And that's not a good look either. Yeah. Yeah. When she spoke of Han um, and that, that kind of uh, feeling of a kind of um, this like uh, infinite suffering or something. Um, I'm like, oh yeah, that, I've forgotten all about that. Yeah, fucking Han, yeah, that shit is real. Anyway, it made me realize mm-hmm. I should probably really read that book. And, and, all, and these aspects of the Korean War that she was speaking of, I'm mm-hmm. like, wow, there's so much I don't know. Because mm-hmm. my parents don't want to talk about that, you know. You know, right. my father didn't, and my mother, you know, still still doesn't. You know, I mean, she'll talk about certain things, and and yeah, the whole experience of your family be, being being split up. My father also um, was born in North Korea, and his family came from from North Korea, and they moved during the Korean War. I think my mother also, um, and uh, or or at least had family up there, but then. And during the war, her father was taken, and so she lost her father when she when she was five, and he was taken during the war. And they don't know exactly what happened to him, but um, it's believed that he was likely taken to to North Korea. So yeah, yeah, and that's and she's yeah. Oh my God, there's like it's it's weird because of course I have the opposite. Uh, my well, technically my stepfather. My stepfather is um, a Marine who fought in the Vietnam War. And so that means I've got the, I had this massive six foot tall post-traumatic stress helicopter gun, terrifying individual, you know, as a father figure who nobody ignored and which you, I was constantly like, don't pay it. Like, don't look behind the curve. Don't look at that. You know, you sort of like hide that. Don't pay attention to that. That's distressing to people. So it's it's kind of it's it's odd because uh, small, diminutive, and easy to ignore are no words that would apply to my dad growing up. Um, not that he was he actually wasn't as as frightening as well. I, my brother and I have different feelings about this, but <laughs> to me, he wasn't as frightening as he appeared to other people. But it's just it's just a um, Wow! Did not have big ex-marine stepfather on my Brandy Bingo card. Yeah, no, I did. Uh, big scary ex-marine stepfather with terrible PTSD um, and flashbacks and uh, really bad stuff. Yeah, he was actually almost nonverbal when they married. When my mom married him, um, and yeah, and uh, um, and he was better than my actual bio dad. So, um, but what I found out by the time I was twelve is that. Uh, <sighs> he would kind of ramp up to these events where he would kind of lose it, you know, like have these meltdowns and think he was in Vietnam again. And I found out that I could sort of trigger him early and then we would have these massive fights (laughs) or just get in his face. Um, So that was my job. So I was sort of like early landmine detection unit. uh, Wow. Yeah. So it's just so, 
it's really strange to hear like it's so odd to hear the other side of what these relationships are like when you have a like this giant massive volcano explosive father figure to think of someone who has a father who's 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 ignore small diminutive and ignorable it's Boy, just a, a that that's the thing though that's how he was perceived on the outside but inside he was also explosive so they also didn't see yeah. yeah they didn't see him like completely losing his shit and being enraged you know they didn't yeah. see that side they just assumed that oh he's just this oh so we can ignore that guy but right. it was like right. oh he's, he's actually you know uh, you know, again, Koreans are loud, and but but he also like had this had this rage, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think well, everybody has rage. My dad's just looked like it was in there. Ah, you know, okay. <laughs> just and, you know, okay, automatically. Yeah, but that meant that meant the twelve-year-old was. It was my job to trigger it because no one else was going to come near it, right? So like, I had to be the one to be like, just stick it right there. So yeah. Wow. Um. So war damages people is what we're saying. That's what we're saying. I just, I think it's interesting that like, we're like, we're going to talk about the medicine in the book. And here we are just one book about dads. And we're, we are, we have, uh, you know, dove in on that, uh, on that psychological path. Yeah. Medicine. Um, really? Cause my dad would never, ever go see a therapist. Like he wouldn't send one in a doctor's office. Are you kidding? And again, and that's, yeah. And, Exactly. My father was a non-talker. And so what happened? Explosive, you know, explosions of rage. Yeah. Exactly. You know, he really could have used you know, someone to talk to. Therapy. Yeah. So there should have been some medicine. Yeah. That's what mm -hmm. it is. Medicine was yeah. fictional in my family. <laughs> uh, so my dad had a massive heart attack and then it got real, real quick. Um, but yeah, we have squid. Um, you know what? Squid? We we don't have Squid this week because I I never got access to her PowerPoint slides. No. Yeah, I'm sorry. Sorry, everybody. She's on her way to Japan. Sorry. Um, or somewhere. She's on her way away someplace, so we can't get it. Oh no, I'm so sorry, Davy. That's my bad. No, it's okay. But we can save me. Squid. We we can we'll save, save Squid. squid. There'll be time for squid. be squids for another. There are squids in another time. Instead are you of talking about, squid, are you talking about like real squid or you know talking about real squid? We are talking about living squid. We we so Sarah McAnulty does squid of the month for us. So we get, we get a squid, new cool squid of the month, and then a squid quiz. But her slides are locked, so we couldn't get them. So for which I apologize, to everyone. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, we have squid of the month. The squid, oh the squid God. is kind of the, the unofficial mascot theme of the show. Oh, right. So yeah, we were going to have but, a squid. But we do have, you know, you've talked so much about food already in this episode. Uh -huh. uh, I have a quiz this week called You're Making Me Hungry. And there's, there's a lot of talk. Uh, Susan, when you read the book, uh, some things will probably hit home because there's so much talk about Korean food in the book and talking about the, the things he could buy from street vendors when he was trying to take his wife oh, on a date and didn't oh, have any money and like, what could he afford? So I have some questions about uh, some traditional Korean foods and you can kind of, you're going to be our expert on this. So you can fact check me all you want. Um, uh, but there might be some questions in here that might be challenging for you too. So we'll okay. see. So these are mostly for Brandy and the Peculiars, but Susan is definitely, uh, She's your all-star on the team if you need to call her in. Okay. 
Okay, I'm so, probably going to need a color. Hope in. I don't lead you astray. Yeah. So one of the things they talk about this into an eating game for every question you get wrong, oh, you have to. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. One of the foods, every time you. One of the foods talked about in the book, and I think Susan, you can confirm this is a a pretty traditional food that you'd find at pretty much any Korean meal would be a kimchi. Oh yeah. Uh, which is made by fermenting vegetables. Uh, usually oh, made yeah. in the winter, kimchi was placed in large brown ceramic pots called, and again, you can correct me on my pronunciation too, ongi. Where ongi. were the pots stored? Ongi. Are they stored mm. under the bed? In the fields between growing seasons or underground? Oh, we've got some some guesses. The answer girl says, thank you, MASH. B. <laughs> <laughs> I will tell you. Says, in our in our uh, peculiar movie episode, which is being pushed back a week, I got my dates wrong. So I know I told you the 18th, the peculiar movie episode was going to come out. It's going to come out on the podcast feed yes. next week. What would that be? The 25th? Something um, like that. <laughs> next Thursday. Um, and Darren is a master brewer here in Cleveland. And he knows Ooh. a ton about fermenting. So he actually gives us a yeah. kimchi lesson in the fermenting. episode. All right. What do we think, Brandy? What do you think is? Well, I like mash, so I'm going to go with B. All right. Susan, what do you think the answer is? C. It is underground. They're oh, underground. underground. Yep. Maybe and I know this because field. that's where my mother would put her pots of kimchi when uh, we were making them in suburban Maryland. And uh, and we had a backyard, and that was like the big thing when we actually got a house with the backyard. We used to... When we first came to America, we lived in apartments, and then you know we've got the house at the back, and like we have our own yard, we can bury our own kimchi, and that's what we did all the time. Anthro girls asking oh, well. for credit. She said, "I changed my answer." <laughs> it's just Actually, the right temperature. In right. the ground would be sort of like in the field. Hey, <laughs> mm -hmm. and during right. the winter, it won't. You know, it, it, it won't, won't freeze, and it's just uh, yeah, mm -hmm. like it's like having a cellar, I suppose. And in the and in in the summer, it's cool. You know. Oops, she's, right. she's, she's glad she didn't miss it. She was looking forward to it. You didn't. Yeah, we try to alternate weeks. So this this will come out in audio form tomorrow. And then uh, we'll do the podcast, the movie podcast next week. So Susan, this one might be a little challenging for you. Mm -hmm. Don't confuse Chiang, Chiang <laughs> Yang chili peppers with Korean chili peppers because they are much spicier. Regular Korean chili peppers only measure about 1,500 Scoville heat units, which is a measure of heat for food. Oh. But Chiang chili peppers measure what? Is it A, 5,000 Scoville, B, 10,000 Scoville, or C, 50,000 Scoville? Darwin what? says it's 10,000, <laughs> but he might not know. As, yeah. as, as someone who... Uh, who has messed around with hot and hotter and hotter peppers and hotter and hotter hot sauces? I'm actually very curious to try a Chong Yang chili pepper. Chong Yang. B. She's, she's going to go. This, unit, this heat unit thing is it's fascinating. <laughs> Hope. See you later, Jennifer. Do you have any other guesses? Any so other Darwin guesses? guesses B as well. Susan, do you have a guess? I don't know. Okay, give me 50. <laughs> She's going 50. <laughs> the answer is 10,000 Scoville. I'm listening. So now, Darwin. You know what? You should always listen to your cat. <laughs> now, if you, think that, if you think that's hot, the ghost pepper 
It measures over a million Scoville. What? So at, even at a even at ten thousand Scoville, we're just scratching the surface of where hot peppers can go. I just don't even understand why anybody Lord. eats it. No, me neither. I've I've tried ghost pepper sauce before. I've never had a, a true ghost pepper, but I've had ghost pepper sauce, uh, which I cook with. I'll, I'll I'll throw just a splash in. It's oh, it's it's it'll make you sweat. Oh man, but it's good. <laughs> at, at a million Scovilles, yeah, at that point, like there can't be taste left. <laughs> the ones like, that do it right, point, the ones that can do it right, do get a little bit I don't of. Oh man. <laughs> All right, our last question for dessert. Of course, we have to end on dessert. For dessert and on holidays, a traditional Korean dish is tiok. Uh, nope. nope. It's funny. It's like usually non-Korean speakers can't really pronounce this word. And to me, uh, well, I it's duck. 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 So to oh, me, I always describe it. Um, it's like spelling it D-U-C-K. It's like it's like it's a D sound, but it's like a sticky D. Yeah. So and it's again? not duck, but it's duck. 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 Yeah. Duck. Okay. Duck. A Duck. Korean rice cake. They're mostly divided dish. into four categories. They can be and fried, pounded, boiled, and what? Is it A, blanched, duck, grilled, duck, or steamed? I think it's... You know, I don't know, but I kind of hope it's grilled because I had grilled gnocchi, or uh, not gnocchi, but um, uh, mochi, you know, like yeah, Moki once, and it was amazing. So I'm gonna hope that it's grilled, but I don't know. Ooh, Randy says, seen. "Randy says I love ghost peppers." Oh, oh Randy's really? On oh the, no, Randy's on the heat train with me. <laughs> I'm just—I don't know. I'm not big on pain. Uh, Leanne guess Leanne guess C. Yeah, it, that's it why I, like I, it, but... I cook with it. You know, I mix it in with other spices and mm. just you know throw it in a little bit to mix. Just it a in little there. pain. Yeah, just a little pain. Any I have other enough pain in my life? Yeah, I mean, so like, Br- yeah, I don't go looking for it because it usually finds me. Brandy's guessing grilled uh, or hopeing for grilled. We hopeful, guessing. It's a hopeful guess. Susan, what thing. what would be the fourth way you would make yuck? That's the thing. When I looked at these options, I was like, oh, all of those. I was like, oh, I never thought of that. You know, but yeah. <laughs> but I know, I think the correct answer is C, but I was like, why not? Oh, 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 no. Uh, hopefully she just turned her camera off because she's still connected. I, I didn't mean to. It's, ah, it's there we go. And then I swiped it away. There we go. Okay, we're back. So the answer is yes, steamed. Steamed. Yeah. Yuck. But I say experiment and grill and blanch. Yeah. And grill it, you know? I love this. So I love, I love rice in all of its many permutations. I don't know how to make many rice dishes, but I love rice in all its forms mm-hmm. and i it, i want someone to just make me rice things you need to try all the different kinds of duck that I is do. my favorite I, food it's like can, all, can it's i comfort. where do i find them <laughs> you um you, you don't, don't have a korean grocery or a korean uh, I, I, rest, I, restaurant i think not we do really we got a lot no well then you I, mean you have to come back you know, yeah. well, I, I will, you either come I to my will, house or we go to Koreatown. Yeah. I will be there June 21st, 23rd through the 26th. Sweet. <laughs> well, I think I'm free. Don't forget to those nights. Okay. okay. <laughs> and we will I hear. Actually, yeah, we will hear about this. Um, I actually was going to tell you, I, I, I'm going to meet with um, Jeff and Elia from Charming Disaster while I'm in town. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to be on your side of town anyway. So yeah. I thought. Please, please. Maybe we'd stop by because I'm going to see them early. 
yes, on the please. 23rd. I don't know if you're available. On I, the, can, I think it's the 23rd, 24th. Well, I think, yeah, I think it should be here, you know. Okay. And um, right. if you don't want me to crash your thing with, with Ellie and Jeff, I won't. But, you know, if I can, then I will, you know. And if not, we can just meet separately. Well, no, yeah. Well, I want to extend my friend time over, you know. Maybe we could all go and get Korean food. We could all do that. We, we could. We could. They want me to have ice cream somewhere, someplace with ice cream. And it's okay. early in the day. I think they have something going on later. I don't know. But anyway. A I'll hip, a hip, you. trendy food place in New York. I can't it's believe weird. it. Weird. I know. Right? I know. It's that, kind of crazy. I don't think we have any. <laughs> yeah, I have to go. I have to see editors and publication people and and stuff. And so um, I'm working around several other meetings, but I will. I'm I'm letting people know that I'm going to be there. Anyway. Yay. Um. Yay. Cool. So, uh, Peculiars, it was really nice to see you again. I don't get to see you again until June, which is sad, but we are going to be doing The Puzzler. And I feel like there's bound to be some good comedy sketches attached to this one. I just kind of feel it in my blood. I, uh, I'm racking my brain because the author is this expert in puzzles. And like, do I quiz someone like that? Like, do I even try to quiz someone like that what could i come up with so i'm enjoying the heck out of the book i've already picked up new puzzles into my daily routine no it's book. great it's yeah. great um antho girl says i love how brandy says ice cream somewhere like there's only one place to get ice cream and i leanne, was gonna say I'll, I'll make some ice cream oh see <laughs> leanne just reminded me because i'm an idiot um hey susan why don't you tell us about the bushwick book club you're here oh yeah bushwick book, we're book club lovers. yeah we are not act like an actual book club where we discuss books, but all of the readers who read the books um, are artists and they read the books and they use the book th as uh, a platform to create new work. So they respond to the book with a new song or a new visual nice. art, or if you're, you know, a culinary artist, then you'll, you know, you'll, you'll respond with an hors d'oeuvre or or what have you so and um and we, and we did yeah and then we have a big show where we you know have all the performers perform their songs and uh and yeah it's, and our next one is where uh it's june 10th and the book is gender queer by maya kobabe and uh, it's going to the show's going to be at the lgbtq center on 13th street in manhattan and for this one, we have our first actual book club happening of, of readers who re will read the book and discuss it. So we're wait. trying that for the first time. And that's- Wait, wait, wait. Maya? Um, Maya? Yeah, M Maya Kobabe. Did I find the right site? Is this your site? Oh yeah, that's the site. Mm -hmm. Okay, perfect. Yeah. I'm spelling. M-A-I-A-K-O-B-A-B-E. Our book is uh, gender queer. Oh, okay. Not, not the same person I was thinking of. Yes. Um, yes. but, uh, I, d so I, th I was looking for the photo that we took on the rooftop when we did my book. Oh, right. So hang on a second. Yeah. That, uh, uh -huh. that's a great photo. I have it somewhere. <laughs> Live, uh, and that was baby, our I'm first in-person show. That was our first yeah, in-person show. Mm-hmm. I'm looking to sorry. That's okay. The peculiars, the peculiars are enjoying this. And it was so great to have you in the, you know, over here for that, Brandy. That's when we had the brain mold aspic mm -hmm. thing. Mm -hmm. Davey, I'm pretty created by Chef Sung Yuni Lee. 
Okay, Davey, I just put it over there in the link. Can you grab oh, it boy. and put it up on the... Okay, let's see if I can do this. That was it's... such a good time. I see Jeff Vander uh... here. C. Griffin, she said. Leanne's a friend of C. Griffin. Yes. Oh, awesome. C is playing the next one on June 10th as well. C's going to come up from D.C. to play it. Yay, that's my rooftop. Yeah, there, there we are. That's 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 me being me in the middle. Uh, there's Mark being cute down near the bottom. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You all are cute. Everybody's yeah. cute. We had a good. Have there's a good you time. being all all jazzy. Uh, we had a really good time. Maya is uh, so over here on this side. Um, yes, pointing in the wrong direction. She is. Um, an amazing singer songwriter collaborating on a song for my next book launch and i'm gonna do the claiming for that too so there will be a little claim oh i want to i want to know more about your next book i'll have to find out oh it, yeah it's called the intermediaries and i'm i cry a lot on my floor mostly um which i talk about often but it, it, it's you know why because it's a book about how nazis and proto-nazis were fighting to screw up trans people's lives when there was trans surgeries and trans rights and all this stuff was happening way back in the 1920s and gay rights and all this, but then the Nazis were bad and they, and all that's happening now again. And so partly it's a really depressing book to write because I'm like, I'm good. I'm, I'm just going to write some history. And then I turn on the TV and I'm like, wow. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of, kind of sad, but anyway, it's a, it's a, it's a good book and it's an interesting one. Um, and also I got interviewed where I got to say mean things about Marjorie Taylor Greene. So that was fun. Um, like you do. So <laughs> I also pissed off Elon Musk and then they wouldn't air it yes. on my, uh, yeah, I know I, I, I did. I got interested. <laughs> I was saying that he's a bad person and does science wrong. And, um, the news, it, it was air. supposed to air, it aired once and it was supposed to air again. And then they, um, they he threatened to sue the news station. And so what wouldn't go back on. And I was like, oh, I've pissed off Marjorie Taylor Greene and Elon Musk in like the same month. I feel so special. Way to be. Oh, me. Oh, me. Yeah. Oh, Brandy. Somebody posted on our, our Facebook, just uh, our Facebook feed just this week, like live your life so that if it was a, a book, Florida would ban it. And I was like, oh. yes. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> so one of you did it one of you posted i forget who it was so anyway um was it? yeah it was fun <laughs> so uh this was amazing thank you for being here susan thank, thank you all you for being here um it was great thank you davy for doing an amazing interview and thank just i'm just thankful that we have this amazing group a place where if you're weird your family you got the blue